You have reached the voicemail box of Speed Dial with Ira Madison III and Doreen St. Felix. This week, Ira talks about his week on painkillers, and I talk about my sister's wild birthday dinner. Next, our Keep It segment is about the Golden Globe nominees, then a conversation on Tom Ford's nocturnal animals, and finally, a voicemail from one of our listeners. Leave a message. Doreen, call me back. I have been on painkillers all week, and I think I might be addicted to them. How much for a pill? I mean, now, since you're a dealer now. That's my new scam. I'm selling Vicodin on Etsy. Oh my God. Why are you, are you on Vicodin or is it another? I'm actually on Percocet um, and some other yes, lesser. Perc- yes. Um, I'm feeling a lot like Future this week on those perks. <laughs> can you can you tell me why you're on Perks? I mean, it's chill, like, if you don't have a reason. Um, I'm just a little curious. Yeah, you know, that's just what we do here in L.A. No. So <laughs> I joined this new gym because, you know, I've been trying to get bodied, as Beyonce told me in 2006. And 10 years later, I was finally like, you know what? <laughs> I should do that. That was good advice. So I joined this gym called Training Mate which is a gym run by Australians, hot Australians. And oh, yes. all they do is like you do circuit exercises and hot Australians yell at you. And it's sort of perfect except for I pulled a muscle uh, lifting too heavy a weight because I was feeling myself. And now I'm on painkillers. Oh, my God. Wait, how much was the weight? Is that is I, that the terminology? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I think it was like a fifty pound weight, which shouldn't be that much. But for the movement that I was doing, I probably should have left that one on the floor. So I have been, you know, just laid up in the house, basically watching TV and you know taking these pills. But the worst part is like I've been watching Days of Our Lives, obviously. And mm-hmm. this character, Jennifer Horton, on the show currently has a pill addiction. <laughs> so <laughs> someone saw her with a bag of pills and they were like, Jennifer, what are you doing? And I was like, I am not addicted. <laughs> you have I'm, like a mantra already. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I've barely been like going out just because these things make me drowsy and put me to sleep like in the middle of the Mm -hmm. day which is really difficult because i'll be like working and then i'll wake up two hours later and be like oh shit where did my day go but (laughs) for the most part you know it's just been relaxing to take it easy this week and you know i i went out for a brunch on saturday but that's about it Keeping oh it wow okay jennifer i'm proud of you jennifer thank you um you needed to re- you needed to relax <laughs> <laughs> but seriously i hope you feel better i have never pulled a muscle but it sounds like it's really painful it is but you know if you ration out the pills to make sure you have some left over it ends up being worth it <laughs> 
Oh my god. Anyway, we don't uh condone pill addiction once <laughs> we tell the podcast. <laughs> um I had the opposite week as you in that it was hyphy as hell. Uh, my sister's 35th, oh, I mean 27th birthday was this weekend. Don't put your and sister's she, age in these streets. <laughs> She's going to be so mad at me. Um, hi, Sha. She <laughs> invited a bunch of people to this spot. She lives in Pennsylvania, and it was supposed to be a seated dinner, right? There were tables. There were menus. There were chairs. But none of these Negroes were sitting down. I swear to God, this shit started at 8 p.m. We had the ox cord for oh, the no. like entire night, they which I know cord? I can't believe. I cannot believe those white people trusted us with an ox cord. Nobody was sitting down. It was like the club. And there was actually <laughs> – there were two – so we had like the whole upstairs and there were two um, – very nice-looking white families seated at some tables in the far left, and they ended their dinner very quickly, if you ask me. (laughs) (laughs) But it was wild. Like, there was, like, a makeshift, like, twerking competition. Some things happened that I cannot actually say on this podcast. And it was a reminder for me, like, I haven't, hung out with people who like have kids in a really long time mm-hmm. and when you get that babysitter when that babysitter is lit they lose their minds like I can't even the words I can't find the words to describe how absolutely outrageous <laughs> that dinner party was but then the funny thing was that by the time it was 11 30 p.m everybody was like dead everybody was tired <laughs> they were all like too drunk and that's when i was ready to go out like i thought we were gonna go to the club after but no these 30 somethings were like actually we're going to sleep actually that was um, their turn up <laughs> <laughs> yeah the dinner was the turn up <laughs> <laughs> How come our dinners have never been that hyphy when I've been in town? We need to talk to our bosses. We need to rent out a room. Like, we always go to these nice Caucasian spots. um, Or (laughs) these spots where we get scammed. I still have not forgotten about that Italian restaurant that scammed us earlier this year. I think about that $100 every day of my life. (laughs) I wish I could have it back. (laughs) Um, So the dinner was a success. Um, I mean, it was more than a success. Great. Yes, when we left the restaurant, you could tell that this Caucasian eatery had been transformed into a Negro place of jubilance. They like chased us down and gave us like free bottles of alcohol. They were so happy. <laughs> oh my god! Do you think it's gonna turn it into like the time. black spot now? I think it might. <laughs> they should start passing the out waiters flyers, were, like dancing, um, advertising <laughs> MLK parties um, before anybody oh else does. <laughs> You're listening to Speed Dial. We'll be right back. Keep it. So Monday at some ungodly hour, 
a bunch of celebrities woke up and read off the Golden Globe nominations. And <laughs> I think they were, oh, it was Don Cheadle, Laura Dern, and mm-hmm. Anna Kendrick, which means that they drew the short end of the stick this year in Hollywood. Because I could not imagine having to wake up at 4 a.m. so you can get to the Beverly Hilton at 5 a.m. and read off a bunch of people nominated for shit when you're not being nominated for shit. <laughs> but they read the Golden <laughs> Globe announcements and they're here. What do you think of them, Doreen? I was pleasantly surprised. In a good way. I mean, that's what pleasantly means anyway, right? Um, I think so. There were some <laughs> <laughs> There were some nominations that I knew were going to happen even though they shouldn't anymore. Like, can we please just excommunicate Mel Gibson? Like, he does not need to be nominated for any awards. I was shocked, not- actually, when I saw were Hacksaw you? Ridge. Well, because first of all, I have paid no fucking attention to Mel Gibson this year, so I did not even know the name of his dumb movie. And when I saw Hacksaw Ridge, I was like, what the fuck is this? And then (laughs) I clicked on it, and I was like, Mel Gibson, keep it. (laughs) (laughs) I know. It's like one of these war movies or whatever. But with the exception of that, I have to say the list had a lot of great black actors on it who I thought actually would have been snubbed. You know, I was, like, super happy to see Atlanta be nominated for Best Comedy. I was really happy for Issa Rae. I think it's great that she got the nomination. People versus OJ, Courtney B. Vance, Octavia, and Viola. You know what I'm saying? Like, this is, it's a hot list. And Mm -hmm. Barry, of course, for, you know, Best Director. And I, I... Initially, before the awards season, I mean, it hasn't officially started, but there have been some awards given out in film, especially. I thought that Barry was not going to win anything. And the fact that he's actually collecting awards makes me think maybe he'll get the big ones, too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was super excited for Issa Rae and Tracy Ellis Ross to get their Mm -hmm. Golden Gold nominations, specifically because the last time... A Black Woman was nominated in that category was 1985. The comedy category. Yeah. Best Actress in a Comedy. Uh, the last time a Black Woman was nominated was um, were Isabel Sanford, Nell Carter, and Debbie Allen in 85. So, you know, it's been a minute. You know, I think that's also because the Golden Globes tend to love newer things especially in the tv realm like it was great to see um my girl gina rodriguez nominated again for Mm -hmm. jane the virgin because jane the virgin stays good um and moonlight got so many nominations yeah and i was so i was also really happy to see stranger things get nominated Mm -hmm. because i think stranger things was in this weird space of not really being prestige TV, but also not being, like, immediately consumable. And it's good that people are recognizing that it can still get, you know, award fodder or whatever. And those little kids are so cute. 
Right. Um, I've actually been surprised that like I haven't been seeing Stranger Things and that many people's top 10 TV shows of the year list. Yeah. Um, I've and noticed it's definitely that too. In they can keep that. I really enjoyed it. Yeah. I think that Stranger Things was by far the most beloved television show that came out this year. You know, like people like actively loved it. It's so hard not to love those kids. And, you know, they're media darlings now and they're always for some, I don't know if they live together in some kind of hut, but they're always together like on late night shows and reacting to praise and stuff. So that that I was really happy to see. So Mel Gibson nominated for anything. Keep it. Definitely. I have not seen La La Land yet, and I like musicals, so I'm going to give it a chance still. But I will say, I see what La La Land is doing, and I see it inching towards that best picture Oscar win that Moonlight deserves. And I'm not here for it. I'm going to raise hell. I'm going to raise hell. Can we just talk about, right now, can we put this to rest, Ryan Gosling should not be a romantic lead. There's nothing about him that's compelling in that kind of role. But for some reason, he keeps he keeps getting cast in them over and over again. And I saw the trailer to La La Land actually right before I saw Nocturnal Animals, which we'll talk about later. And I just like, I don't believe that man. He's a fraud. He's a scammer. Yeah. You know, Ryan Gosling is so peculiar to me because... I loved him when he was a kid. He was in Young mm-hmm. Hercules, which was my shit. He was in <laughs> Breaker High, which was also my shit. Um, and then there was a certain point when, like, the internet was obsessed with him. Yeah. And I liked him, too. I it mean, was like he was 10 hot. Years he ago. was cute. And he was great in Drive. However, since then... They've been trying to make him a romantic lead, and this shit is not working. It just, it really isn't. I even didn't like him when he was an anti-romantic lead in that horrible movie, Blue Valentine. Oh, I remember seeing Blue Valentine on a date. Oh, God. It was so <laughs> depressing. <laughs> yeah. It was like motel drama. Right? And Michelle Williams was in it, too. And she's always starring in some depressing Caucasian melodrama. So I was not surprised that she (laughs) popped up in Manchester by the Sea this year. And you can Mm -hmm. also keep that movie because I don't think we've talked about Casey Affleck on the podcast yet. We're going to talk about him right now. Okay. This nomination, they can keep it. Uh, First of all... He looks like Matthew McConaughey 10 years ago when, like, Matthew McConaughey looked like he lived, like, under a hut at the beach. (laughs) Castaway Matthew McConaughey? (laughs) (laughs) Wait, wasn't that My problem with Casey... (laughs) Yeah, I know, but I'm saying, like, if Matthew McConaughey was in the movie. Uh, Anyway, my problem with Casey Affleck is... Here is somebody who is coddled by two of the most powerful white men in Hollywood, right? Ben Affleck, his older brother, and Matt Damon, Ben Affleck's husband. And I just (laughs) can't stand to see that in the same year, people, in my opinion, 
righteously and rightfully came for Nate Parker, but won't do it for Casey Affleck because, you know, the risk it poses to them, like the people that they would lose speaking to if they were to call him out is much greater than what happens with Nate, right? Nate is not part of Hollywood royalty or anything like that. I agree. Because let me tell you something. Um, I wrote, you know, actually in Delete Your Account a couple weeks ago that I think mm-hmm. that it's not really fair to compare Casey Affleck and Nate Parker, you know, because I think it's like a bit of a false equivalency because they have different crimes. I mean, one, you know, Nate Parker r- r- allegedly raped somebody. Um And this was more, you know, sexual harassment, um, assault. um, And I'm not downplaying it at all. Um, But I'm also saying that the difference, too, was that Nate Parker also got on his high horse and tried to make a movie and talk about how he was bettering the black community and said some whack shit about gay people, too. And so then we were sort Mm -hmm. of like, you know what? We're not having it with Birth of a Nation. I will say that what Casey Affleck has been doing, and probably because he was advised to do so, is he has shut the hell up. He has not tried to give mm-hmm. a single interview about this, and no other journalist is going to bring it up. And I think that as a black community, we sort of got Nate Parker together, and now it's up to white people to get Casey Affleck together. You know? like That is such a good point. I don't think... And we will remember this, too, because next time they try and come for a black person on something, we will be able to say, but where were y'all with Casey Affleck? You know, because we did Mm -hmm. our work this year with Nate Parker, which means that we're allowed to say Casey Affleck has sexual assault allegations. You need to at least be bringing it up in these roundtables that you were doing with him. But no journalist is doing it because they don't want to lose their Ben Affleck and Matt Damon access. Let me tell you something. Matt Damon (laughs) is out here making, I don't know, some Asian Chinese movie where he's starring in it being a white savior. Like, Matt Damon's a fuckboy. So who really cares about access to him? Ben Affleck. I mean, Ben Affleck goes through cycles where his career flops and he's thirsty for attention. So even if you say some shit about his brother, in two years, he's going to need an interview with you. I hadn't really thought about Casey Affleck necessarily being having to be held accountable by the white community, but I think that's a really shrewd point, especially because there's this really like gray area where we talk about the differences in how black men who have abused women are treated in the media and the way that white men are are treated. And sometimes you get into this territory where black men feel like they're, you know, persecuted more, which means that they are also victims. But that's not, you know, that's not an argument I think we should be making because the whole point is that women are the victims in both of these scenarios. But I think... It kind of, to me, represents that maybe the Bill Cosby moment and the Nate Parker movement were not in indicators of what of any change in Hollywood, right? It was just like what black communities have always been very strong about in terms of like restorative justice and holding their own people accountable. I think that was just something that became more visible on the internet. 
But the Casey reminder is like, in reality, most men are Woody Allens in Hollywood. They can do whatever they fucking want and they can continue to make movies and they can even actually be the actor darlings of the year. Casey Affleck is totally poised to win an Oscar for this role that he did in Manchester by the Sea, which to me doesn't look like a good movie, but, you know, I'm black, so I'm biased. Taking Denzel's Oscar. Give Denzel his third Mm -hmm. Oscar. (laughs) 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 And finally on the Globes, the other thing that they can keep is this nomination for that fucking troll song by Justin Timberlake. That is, honestly, that song to me is, like, fascist. Can I explain myself? (laughs) Please do. (laughs) (laughs) It just, the cloyingness of it, it kind of feels like one of those really evil earworms that has probably, like, a secret message about how we need to (laughs) prostrate to our new government or to our new state. I just don't trust that song. I don't trust Justin Timberlake's ass ever since he did that shit to Janet. That is an evil, possibly quadroon white man. I will say that um, the great thing about 2016 is, thanks to Bruno Mars, we don't need Justin Timberlake anymore. (laughs) You're listening to Speed Dial. More after this break. Last week, I left a Brooklyn theater very perturbed, very angry, because I had just seen a film by Tom Ford called Nocturnal Animals. It is a stereotypical version of a psychological thriller, right? When I was in the theater, I just wanted to leave. I hated it. It was making me so uncomfortable. But then when I really thought about everything that the film was doing and how it was just unabashedly a fashion film and only really about aesthetics and Tom Ford's lipstick and Gucci dresses, I fell in love with it. I love Nocturnal Animals now. But I know you don't like it, Ira. I hate this movie. (laughs) I say I hate this movie even as I'm wearing Tom Ford noir right now because I actually love Tom (laughs) Ford. Uh, And I like a single man, too. I did not like this movie. Let me explain. First of all, Tom Ford made a white Tyler Perry movie. Oh, my God. Because this movie has Amy Adams as the successful businesswoman who still has to be punished for her sexuality and for her business acumen. She is punished by Jake Gyllenhaal uh, because, you know, she aborted their baby. Um, Army Hammer is busy cheating on her with floozies in New York. And (laughs) her mom is telling her, you know, that she's not living her life well. And Jake Gyllenhaal also writes this book that's basically about her. Um where she gets raped and murdered in it. And I'm like, this is some Tyler Perry shit. All she needed was some light-skinned Negro to ride in and save her and teach her the error of her ways. It was basically Maybe like watching Tyler Perry's too. Temptation. Wait, what's the white equivalent of the light-skinned savior? In, an Italian? <laughs> 
<laughs> That's good. I like that. Can I explain why I really like this movie? Sure. It was, to me, very visually beautiful. It's a very highly controlled aesthetic. The first thing that you see is a Jeff Koons sculpture in Amy Adams' character's yard in her like palatial California home. Now, this movie is actually based on a play that was written in the early 90s. And essentially, it's a conceit within a conceit. So Amy Adams' character, she's in her early 40s. She's reading this book that her ex-husband left for her at her house, and it's called Nocturnal Animals. And that's the name that her ex-husband, who's played by Jake Gyllenhaal, used to call her because she can't sleep. And of course, she's reading the book like all night, you know, she's insomniatic because she knows her husband is cheating on her and all this stuff. And yeah, the book itself is really bad. It's a horrible book. It relies on every trope of horror that dehumanizes women. Not only is the character who's supposed to be Amy within it raped and murdered, but their daughter also is. And then Jake Gyllenhaal character's character dies and the sheriff who was helping him you know, presumably dies from cancer. And it's just like a hot mess. But It's I like a white I vigilante love... male <laughs> bukkake. But, oh my God. Oh my God, Ira. It's so scandalous. But what I liked about <laughs> that is- This movie was scandalous. That's how, but Ira, that's how men really are though. They're so fucking dramatic. They're always like, oh, I'll die without you and all this shit or whatever. And I loved it because I thought that only Tom Ford, this campy-ass man, could translate that, you know, without any qualms. He never really tried to make it, like, erudite or intelligent. <laughs> he really, I thought, showed the really bruised ego of men, you know, who feel like they've been who feel like they've been punished by women, actually. and Because, you know, Jake Gyllenhaal's character writes this book like 25 years after they've broken up. Like, she ain't thinking about you. But he's still so obsessed over her. And I thought that the movie did such a great job at kind of like mm. forcing you to laugh at that while also being incredibly uncomfortable because it's very violent. I feel very like violent. if that was the case, we needed a different ending. Is all I'll say. Yeah, the ending um, was so corny. Because the ending, you know, makes Amy Adams a fool. I will say, I do agree with you. The aesthetics in this movie are beautiful. Like, Tom Ford, you know, always gives me a hot fashion commercial. And mm-hmm. I wanted to rock so many, like, ugh, Army Hammer suits. Beautiful. Army Hammer in general. Mm. yeah. Also, like, I feel like there's some I'd people be a out race in the world who don't for him. like Army Hammer. And I just want to let you know you're trash. Because Army Hammer <laughs> is the perfect man. And he's rich. He's born into it. Was he? That's not even rich. Isn't he, isn't he like, really rich? I don't know, but let me scam. Let me fact, fact check that. But he has that, like, rich man swoop. You know his hair? Mm, let, me start, let me start tweeting at Army Hammer. so yes you know i enjoyed the aesthetics of the movie i thought that it looked beautiful i love the music in it um but it still felt like too overwrought and tyler perry-esque to me and i think that the movie would have been dragged more if it were a black film 
Mm-hmm. I hope the legacy of our podcasts are manifold. But most important to me is that people take the lessons of casual luxury to heart and also understand that every white prestige film is also a Tyler Perry film. We're here to dismantle the prejudices of criticism. If you were to look at these movies without the inflated um, sense of art that I think a lot of white critics use when people who are considered to be like savants or avant-garde make films, you would see that a lot of them like deal in the same tropes and deal in the same stereotypes, but we're just not conditioned to see those things as tropes and stereotypes when the actors are white. And for me, it's like, that doesn't actually, thinking of these movies as stereotypical doesn't make them bad. I'm just like interested in campiness. I think that's like a great way to make a movie. I love movies that are aware of the fact that they are movies. But for sure, I'm not going to argue with the argument. I'm not going to argue that this movie was not campy. I'll put it that way. I'm not going to say it was bad. I liked it. Also, speaking of casual luxury, you know I'm starting a casual luxury newsletter. No, I didn't know that. Can I be a guest in it? Uh, sure. <laughs> uh, it's on my Twitter page, at Ira, but, you know, it's just tinyletter.com slash casual luxury. I talk about it on here so much. So I just figured, you know, let me write about what I'm wearing each week and my favorite drinks. You know, I've been really into tequila gimlets lately, and I feel like people mm. should know that. It's casual. It's I can't luxury. wait. In, I, I can't feel wait like I'm in a Tom Ford a... movie, honestly, when I order one. <laughs> I can't wait until you have a cooking show, Ira. And it's just like <laughs> you continuously drinking Prosecco and cooking nothing. <laughs> uh. Listener feedback. And now it's time for some feedback. Each week, we invite our listeners to call in and leave us a message if they want advice on love, life, or, you know, how to scam some painkillers. Hi, Ira and Doreen. So I have really kind of crazy question. I'll just get right into it. So I dated this guy for about two years on and off. We, we like, were literally on and off like we've just completely stopped talking and ignore each other and then like date for a month and then do that again it was insane but we finally ended things earlier this year and now i'm dating this girl she's amazing she's like so sweet and caring and considerate um but yesterday i like ran into him at his job and realized he would be there but he was and i didn't say anything we didn't interact but Later, he sent me a message, and he was like, I'm in love with you, and all this stuff, and I'm like, oh, God, and I'm just confused, and I don't know if I should express that to my, my girlfriend. We've only been together for about a month, but I'm just not sure how to go about this, and it's, it's making me feel weird that I'm even thinking about it, so if you guys have any advice, that would be awesome. Thank you. Bye. We got ourselves Ooh. a love triangle. We really do. Oh man. This he is soap opera he week. Loved on speed her. Dial. <laughs> <laughs> this is like the ghost of Stefano from beyond. He's like, let me give you some drama. <laughs> I 
I think I'm a little torn here. My mind is saying you should be honest with this new girl that you really love and who treats you right. But, but my your body, body is telling, telling me. But my body is telling me, you know, you're not doing anything with him. And he probably is. He might even just be jealous that you're with somebody else. But at the same time, I know, theoretically, abstractly, if I were ever in the situation, I might want to talk to him a little bit further to see what he really means, right? Because you could have mm-hmm. that conversation with him and then you realize, oh, it's just jealousy. He just feels the type of way that I'm with somebody and he isn't, presumably. Mm-hmm. But if you find out it's actually maybe more, you guys had been star-crossed in the past, maybe it's something that you need to seriously you know, think about, not necessarily like take any action. But I will say that it's only been a month. So are y'all exclusive or not? Because if you're not, then, you know, you can see both of them, girl. (laughs) Figure out what you want, what you really want. (laughs) These things, but these things are never black and white. And I think ideally we would say, oh, you moved on and you met someone But the fact that you even feel a type of way about it, even if it's small and just nagging, I think if you suspect that, you know, a couple of months on, you would still be thinking about him and thinking about what could have been, you might want to satisfy that part of yourself sooner rather than later. Because he might not stick around forever, you know? I think what we're also missing here is the why of the breakups. Like, you need to analyze why it is that you two always end things and then, like, don't speak to each other. And if you know why that is and it's his fault, then you need to ask him, so what's up with this, you know, and see if he is able to fix that. If it's your fault, um, you need to ask yourself if you can fix that, you know? Because if you're going to try and go back into this with him, you don't want it to be another thing where it's good for like three months and then it's over and you're left alone again. Like lying on the bathroom floor like you're Natalie and Brulia. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. I was about to talk, and then I realized what you actually just said. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I'm still on these pills, Doreen. (laughs) (laughs) And our listeners on these love pills. You know, I would just say you are probably withholding information from us because you know it would either incriminate you or him. (laughs) And whatever that information is, you just need to be honest with yourself about it because if you know this person like has not been shit for two years it probably isn't worth it but if this story is a little bit more complicated and and maybe you have a little bit more culpability that Mm. answer could be different whose fault is it when you figure (laughs) that out then you'll know what to do next time you call in you better you know what 
next time you call in, you better give us all these receipts, okay? I do not like having <laughs> half information. Got me feeling like Nancy Drew in the first chapter of the book. <laughs> I can't solve no mystery like that. <laughs> yeah, you got to call us back and let us know what A, what the full story is, and B, what decision you make, should you make a decision. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want them, if it's that good, you know, what's his number? <laughs> anyway, if you would like some feedback from Doreen or I, you can leave us a message at 424-354-9335. Once again, that number is 424-354-9335. And leave a message. Okay, Ira, I need to go because somebody I know just dropped a fire piece on the film Jackie and how it relates to Kellyanne Conway in myth-making, and I need to read it. And we'll talk about that next week. Ira wrote the piece also. Yeah, spoiler <laughs> alert. It's me. <laughs> All right, boo. I will talk to you soon. Bye. This episode of Speed Dial was produced by Michael Catano, James D. Green, Mukta Mohan, and Kasha Mahalowicz for the MTV Podcast Network with additional engineering by Little Everywhere. You can subscribe to this and all of our other shows on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you can find your favorite podcasts. 